please welcome to the stage our panelists for protecting and supporting Native families and children. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's panel on protecting and supporting Native families and children. She'e Devin Delro, Yinshe, Ashin Nishle, Oliri Bashashin, Nishasha Dashache, Bilagana Dashanale. Hi, everyone. My name is Devin Delro. I am Principal Advisor for Tribal Affairs at the Department of Health and Human Services and I am a citizen of the Navajo Nation. It is an honor to be here to moderate to today's special panel. This panel will highlight some of the major progress the Biden-Harris administration has made to protect and support Native families and children. This includes interagency initiatives spearheaded by the Indian Child Welfare Act Working Group and IHS initiatives geared to support and protect Native families, children, as well as maternal health. President Biden and the administration are dedicated to prioritizing the safety and protection of Native families and children. In June, the president and vice president celebrated the victory in the Brackeen decision upholding the Indian Child Welfare Act and will continue to defend and uphold this landmark law. On today's panel, we'll hear from esteemed federal and tribal leaders as this panel is shorter, unfortunately, we will be unlikely to take questions from the audience. Now I'd like to introduce our two tribal leaders who will be on the panel with us. First, we have Adriana Goodwin of the Red Lake Nation, and we also have Doreen Blaker, president of the Kiniwa Bay Indian Community. Now I will introduce our federal panelists. Uh, we have Nira Tandon, Domestic Policy Advisor and Assistant to the President. And we also have Acting Assistant Secretary of the HHS Administration for Children and Families, Jeff Hild. And then we have Indian Health Service Director, Rosalind So. Now on to our first question. This is for Domestic Policy Advisor, Nira Tandon. In June, the Supreme Court upheld the Indian Child Welfare Act a vital law celebrated and supported by the Biden-Harris administration. What is a key initiative this administration has implemented that supports and strengthens the goal of Indian child welfare to protect the interests of both Indian children and tribes? Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. And I really, uh, it's a great honor to be here uh, again. Uh, what a privilege it is to really be with so many tribal leaders who are working every day to solve problems and address the needs of uh, communities. So um, uh, I will say that first and foremost, uh, we were proud uh, as an administration to defend the Indian Child Welfare Act against uh, attack uh, and uh, criticism that was lodged against it. Um, as we all know, the Indian Child Welfare Act is a critical component to address ensuring families can stay together, um, redressing some of the real uh, violence that has happened to Native families in the past by 
having a, a concerted strategy and policy of keeping Native families together. And uh, we understood that the attack it faced was really, would really help drive families apart and uh, drive children away from their Native communities. And so that is why we were proud to defend it. And we were pleased that the uh, Supreme Court did not take the action that it could have. And uh, President and the Vice President put out a very strong statement in response. I think we have a broad agenda, and Jeff can, will talk more about this, as will others, but we have a broad agenda on supporting families. We have a new kinship rule, which allows uh, families, grandparents, others to really um, ensure that they are, uh, that the, the, we are able to keep families together by um, strengthening the role of grandparents and other members of a family to help care for children who need it. Um, the idea there is for the federal government to think um, more broadly about family, uh, to, to be more respectful of family members, and to think about family structures where grandparents, aunt and uncle, aunts and uncles, other relatives are a, uh, are a key component of that family. In a way, it's trying to have a it's trying to inculcate a um, a broader sense of what the family is than perhaps one that has been uh, uh, part of the United States for, for too long. So um, that is a step by which we are learning from the nation-to-nation -nation relationship to broaden our understanding of family and the definition of family to have policies that better meet the needs of all people in our country. Um, and so I think that is a, a critical step forward. Great. Thank you for that. Our next question is for both Adriana and President Blaker. What has been yours and your tribe's experience navigating the child welfare system and ensuring Native families and children are protected and supported? What has the Biden-Harris administration done well? And what more can we do? Uh, Bujo. Doreen Adishnikaz, Ajajik Nadodam, Kiwana Bay Indian Community, Nandu and Jaba. I think they've opened up consultation processes uh, really well. Uh, Assistant Secretary came by our reservation a few weeks ago, and we had mentioned some of the difficulties we're having with Title IV-E, and he got right on that. And we've actually got a couple of people that we'll be talking with and helping us with the billing processes. And I think that... Um, you know, we have how many tribes and we're each different and I think that they acknowledge that and are looking for ways to address certain issues as they come up with all of our tribes, whether we be a small tribe like Kewana Bay or a larger tribe like uh, Red Lake, my relation here. So, Great. Adriana? Buju, Nindinawe Magani Nadug, Adriana Goodwin, Nindijinakaz, Washku Benesi Kwe Nindigo, Mayinga Nindudem, Miskwagami, Wizagai Gani Nindunjaba. Greetings, relatives. My colonized name is Adriana Goodwin. I have my Master's of Public Policy from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs, and I'm a citizen of the Red Lake Nation. Um, to start my, um, my speech here today, I would like to acknowledge and honor the past, the present, and the future. Um, for our ancestors, for the babies that are to come, and for all of us that are here. First, it is important to understand that the state child welfare system was never set up to protect or support our families. 
In Red Lake, we are utilizing federal initiatives and what works best in our tribal community to deliver child welfare services. Our focus in child protection matters is on assisting family, families with services that support prevention. Red Lake has been a Tuahe pilot tribe since 2015. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with what the Tuahe initiative is, it began with six pilot sites and has since expanded to 10. It has been tribally driven driven since its inception, and we have been pivotal and instrumental in um, selecting the new additional pilot tribes. The initiative is made up of several human services, public safety, and justice program funding streams, and aims to provide the flexibility and community-specific programming to most successfully uplift and support families and children. In Red Lake, the Tuahe Initiative has provided us a structure that more effectively supports our families involved with family and children's services. This year, we have provided $1.7 million back in direct family assistance to the relatives we serve in our community. These funds support a comprehensive array of needs within individual families. I think all of us here know that when we address poverty within our community, we also strengthen families and reduce out-of-home placements. We also make sure our Ojibwe language and culture are at the forefront of all services. We begin with changing the name of our program from Family and Children's Services to Obimindwa Gidinawe Magani Nadug, which means uplifting our relatives. Like many of you on the Red Lake Nation, we are painfully aware of the lasting impact of removing our children from our communities. We understand that when families enter the child welfare system are often in crisis. We see generations carrying the trauma that is the result of a system meant to oppress and separate us. When our agency receives reports of abuse or neglect, trauma-informed decisions are made using our Anishinaabe intergenerational practice model. We work hard to keep our children on the homeland with family and in the community. That alone is a foundational shift in the last decade whose impacts we can physically see. We see our children at home. We see our babies swimming in our beautiful lake. We see them playing on the playgrounds. We see our babies dreaming because our dreams can come true. They do come true. When a higher level of care is needed, we now have the Children's Healing Center, which is a Tuahe-funded residential facility on the homelands in Red Lake. Another um, innovative aspect of the Children's Healing Center is that we have youth um, that provide the services to our relatives. So it's youth that are in the facility, and we also have youth 18 to 24 who are working directly with them. In 2018, we revised our tribe, Tribal Child Welfare Code in order to take over full jurisdiction of tribal child welfare cases. The goal of Obimindwa is to decolonize our practices and bring a culturally specific approach to our intergenerational Anishinaabe practice model. As a nation, oops, we are leading with our culture and language while also updating our tribal codes to reflect this way of thinking. The Red Lake Nation has reduced out-of-home placements by 63% over the past five years. Tawahe is successful not only because of the... Tawahe is successful not only because of the flexible federal funding that we receive, but it has to do with innovative leadership under our director, Sherry Goodwin, the support of our tribal council, and the pursuit of our dreams and self-determination for tribal nations, while also strengthening tribal, county, state, and federal systems. Our tribal code includes this provision. It is the fundamental belief of the Red Lake Band of Chippewa Indians that its children are the sacred responsibility of the tribe. Our chairman, Daryl Siki, has always encouraged us at Obimidwa to bring our babies home, and so that is exactly what we are doing. 
We have finally turned the tide in our effort to live up to this commitment. We have made significant progress working alongside our federal partners, but more needs to be done. Relevant federal law, specifically recent amendments to the Major Crimes Act, have allowed the FBI to overstep its authority at the Red Lake Nation. Based on the expanded jurisdiction over child welfare issues in the amendments to the Major Crimes Act, the FBI is inserting themselves into child welfare issues in a manner that both disrespects the governmental sovereignty of the tribe and undermines the goals or the programs I have outlined for you. Our experience has shown that it is critical for the Department of Justice to properly educate the U.S. attorneys and FBI agents on this trust responsibility that federal agencies have with tribal nations. Specifically, what the trust responsibility means when federal law enforcement is requesting information and interacting with tribal nations. Until just recently, the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI had been regularly serving subpoenas for information pertaining to child welfare cases that are administered by the Red Lake Family and Children's Service Department. The federal agents felt comfortable serving subpoenas on any individual in any tribal program, and they did not appear to recognize any limits on their activities. Because of the intimidating nature of the contacts by the FBI, the Red Lake Tribal Council developed a statement of protocol for the federal officials to follow in order to place boundaries on them. Recently, the Red Lake Band was informed that Andy Luger, the United States Attorney for Minnesota, had requested that Assistant Secretary Brian Newland assist the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI in getting around the Red Lake Band's protocol for serving subpoenas and obtaining information from the tribe. The U.S. Attorney never considered that when dealing with Red Lake, he was dealing with a separate sovereign nor did he consider that the federal government, including the U.S. attorney, has a trust responsibility to deal with the tribe on a government-to-government basis. Recently, Red Lake officials met with staff from Assistant Secretary Newland's office in an effort to improve the current relationship between the Red Lake Band and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. Red Lake officials were happy to hear the Assistant Secretary's staff report that the Assistant Secretary's response to the U.S. attorney is this. The BIA has a trust responsibility to the Red Lake Band, and the BIA will be assisting the Red Lake Band and not the U.S. Attorney's Office. Miigwech, Secretary Newland. I will stress again that it is critical for the Department of Justice to properly educate U.S. U.S. attorneys and FBI agents on this trust responsibility. We fully support the tribal priority request that a Native American attorney advisor be placed in the Attorney General's office to ensure the Department of Justice is carrying out the stated priorities of the administration in consulting and supporting tribal governments. Miigwech. Aho. Thank you for that. Um, Our next question is for Acting Assistant Secretary Hild. Could you tell us about one or two key initiatives? No, there are many. The Indian Child Welfare Act Working Group has accomplished or is currently working on, and how are these initiatives positively impacting Native families, children, and mending past wrongs? Thanks for that question, Devin, and uh, a real honor to, to be up here with uh, my federal colleagues and tribal leaders uh, representing the Administration for Children and Families. Um, and uh, for context... You know, we brought together the ICWA Working Group with our partners at DOI and DOJ um, back in, in 2022, really in preparation for what we thought could be a bad decision um, in, in Brackeen and really preparing, you know, kind of plans B, C, and D, right? And I think through that process, um, you know, we realized there was a larger set of things we needed to be doing 
um, post-Brackeen, which, as, as Nira mentioned, we all celebrated um, in June, to really realize the spirit of ICWA. And I think for us, uh, that means tribal sovereignty. Um, that means uh, taking culturally appropriate um, steps within our programs to support um, tribes to, I think, as you said, bring, bring your babies home. Um, and to do everything um, that we have within our administrative um, ability to realize uh, the spirit of ICWA. And so that's what we've set out to do. And I'll, I'll just mention um, kind of three things, Devin, if that's okay. Um, the first is uh, listening to tribes. And, and Chairwoman Blaker, I'm so glad um, you mentioned Assistant Secretary Newland's visit because I think his first call was to me after he visited with you um, and, and brought up um, the 40. Um, issues. So please know we're working together. Um, in the past year, we've done three joint consultations with DOJ and DOI uh, around ICWA and Indian Country. ACF has also um, convened four uh, state and tribal uh, ICWA convenings um, in some of our uh, regions. And through that, we've really got a roadmap of what we need to do um, at ACF. So the first thing we did this year is we issued five uh, state-tribal partnership grants for implementing best practices in ICWA. Um, we're going to do that again next year because one thing we heard loud and clear is that unless the relationship with the state is strong and the state is following ICWA, um, we're not going to get where we need to go. Um, we're also in, uh, investing in tribal courts. Um, so we issued four tribal court improvement grants this year. We'll do another round uh, next year. Um, we're also really being intentional about getting our senior leaders to Indian country. Every one of my senior leaders has visited Indian country multiple times this year. Um, our Office of Child Care Director was just in Alaska, New Mexico last week um, doing consultations. And we're really trying to, to lean in to making sure that part of our nation-to-nation commitment is going out and seeing you and seeing things um, on the ground and with our own eyes and hearing from your people. And we're going to keep doing that. Um, the other thing we're trying to do is really um, with our staff ingrain in them an understanding of historical trauma and the context of our nation-to-nation work um, with tribes. So this year we had a five-part training series for about 100 of our staff who engaged directly um, with tribes that provided a historical context as well as an emphasis on how we consult with tribes and how we engage with tribes. And part of what I want to do before I leave this chair is make sure that what we're leaving behind with our career staff is a commitment and an understanding to working uh, with tribes. Uh, and then on the policy uh, side, Anira mentioned uh, the kinship reg. And the thing I would just lean in there is that uh, the language in the final rule um, uh, is flexible in terms of defining kin based on um, tribal uh, custom and history. And each of these plans will be done at the state level. And so the thing that we're um, uh, directly encouraging states to do, but I would encourage all of you as tribal leaders is to make sure you're at the table um, when these plans are being made. Um, there is an, uh, uh, incredible flexibility within the reg to recognize uh, uh, kin in as broad a way as possible that respects um, tribal custom and history. And so please, please do that. Um, the other thing we're doing in the reg space is we're trying to restore ICWA data elements uh, into AFCARS. Um, I'm, I, I couldn't tell you the, what the acronym stands for, but AFCARS is our big um, child welfare data system. And it really is the place where we can understand um, uh, how many children are coming into the system, demographic information. Um, back in the Obama administration, we put ICWA data elements in 
They were removed in the last administration, and we're committed um, to restoring those uh, data elements, and hopefully you'll see that um, proposed rule um, in, the, in the coming months. Um, and then the final thing I'll, I'll mention, and I think um, my co-panelists um, touched on this really eloquently, is that uh, tribes know best uh, what their families need. It's not people like me sitting in an office in, in D.C. And so we really are leaning in um, to what we can do through 477. Um, this year, um, we've uh, recommended and our colleagues at BIA have approved um, two new ACF um, programs to be incorporated into 477 plans. LIHEAP, that's the Energy Assistance Program. Um, and then last month, we announced um, Title 4B, which is Child Welfare Prevention Funds. And so you know, we want to go as far as the law allows us um, in terms of creating flexibility and recognizing um, tribal sovereignty and administering our, our programs. Um, and we think that's what's um, you know, needed, again, to fully realize um, the spirit of ICWA. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for that. And our last pan, uh, question is to uh, Director So. There are many initiatives related to Native families and maternal health that HHS has worked on this past year. What has IHS specifically been working on to protect and support Native families and children? Thank you for that question, Devin, and good afternoon. Again, I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation. These are very, very good questions, and I'm just engrossed in some of the comments and, and what we're hearing here. So again, across um, Indian Health Service, over the past 15 months, my role has been to make sure that we're maximizing all resources that go out to Indian country, and first starting with my colleagues across HHS, and making sure that there is understanding, making sure that we are doing everything that we can to bring resources to to Indian country in whatever topic, whatever space, and wherever the resources are. So that some of the things that we are doing, particularly with regards to uh, maternal health, is, is then working with uh, HRSA, across, again, a colleague within HHS, to make sure that everyone knows about the mental health hotline that is available for, for our families that are in this particular space. The hotline provides, again, supports before, during, and after services for not only the, the patient, but also the family members in terms of the services that might be needed. Uh, the hotline also includes um, the languages in over 60 different languages, some of them including tribal languages. Um, if you don't have that number, it's one eight three three tlc mama One more time, one eight three three tlc M-A-M-A. So again, and then we're also working within IHS to make sure that our teams are fully prepared to make sure that all resources are available to them when we're addressing any issues that, that are out there for any of our new moms or moms-to-be that are coming online. But I, I do want to state again uh, what we're doing, what Jeff said earlier about the services that we're looking at and that we're, we're building at the Indian Health Service is first patient first. And then and, and equally, what the tribes believe that, that the needs are for their patients. It is no longer driven by the federal government saying, we, we know it all or we're going to do this. It really is moving towards what do the tribe, what does the tribal community need uh, to make sure that we build out and support those kinds of services for, for all of our patients that we serve. 
Great. Thank you for that. And I actually see that we have a couple minutes left. So I know we have a special announcement, but I think we might take a minute to see if we have any questions from the audience for our panel while we have them. Other questions? Could I, could I ask a question here? You know, we talk yes. about, and what I see is a lot of good communication that's become, beginning to happen. And when we look at ICWA and the attacks that keep happening on it, um, I think you guys, um, if you could open up lines of communication with states, um, continue, that edu- continue that education with them, especially states that don't, may not have tribes and may not be familiar with them, so that if they have Indian children that they know and understand that mm-hmm. they have a community somewhere. Um, I see different states will reach out to us, which is great. We'll always answer them, you know, yes, that's one of our children, or no, that's not one of our children. But there are states that don't do that, and we still have children being lost in the system. So if you could um, open up lines of communication with uh, your state agencies and continue that, it has to keep going so that they understand that, and then we're not heading back into court for yet another another battle for our children. It's uh, bewildering to us when we see we have to fight for our children in 2023, that we're holding our breath when a Supreme Court is, you know, deciding the fate of our kids again. So um, lines of communication, one of the the biggest things that uh, we see um, is needed. And and, uh, miigwech for the the, uh, acknowledgement of kinship. We're different. I was... um, I was one of those children that was taken away. And when I came back, it was my uncle who raised me and my older cousins. They kept me to task. You know, I had no mother. So um, we're, we're different, you know, we're different. And um, I'm forever grateful to my older cousins for, for raising me like they did. But um, that's, that's our community. Um, it, takes a commu- it takes a community to raise children. And that's, that's where, you know, our tribes are and stuff. So... Um, and perhaps when we look at Title IV-E, we might be able to look at talking to other agencies about um, one of the issues with foster care is maybe the home isn't um, compatible to the regulations that may be needed. So when we look at um, a house that may need some modifications, maybe we can look at um, reaching out to HUD and maybe seeing if they would uh, raise their income guidelines so people can get help with um um, restructuring their houses. Maybe they need an extra bedroom. Maybe they need additional bathroom. There's, there's these measurements and stuff that need to be done. So if we can reach out to other agencies to, you know, and help with that. So um, make much for all the work that all of you are doing. It's much appreciated. Thank you. You've raised a, a series of issues, and I'll try and tackle a, a one or two, and, and others can, can address them as well. Um, first and foremost, uh, talking about the Supreme Court and um, fighting against this, uh, fighting against their con- uh, some conceptions about family, and you know, at the heart of the Supreme Court case was this was this contested question of whether a child from a tribe, um, whether federal policy can still ensure that you know the child's the first and foremost focus of the federal government policy is to keep the child with the tribe. And that that was attacked uh, in the Supreme Court, and um, we were all very worried about what would happen. And I think it is just really important that the concept that children um, should uh, sh- children are part of the community of the tribe, and the way that both of you have be- beautifully described the sense of community is what's so important for us 
to understand and why it's shifted our own understanding of federal policy and really in expands our own notion of how the federal government should respond to all families and how our actions on having a broader understanding of what the family is, like grandparents and aunts and uncles, and thank you for sharing your story, um, can, remind, can reminds all of us and really we can learn from the experience of tribes and the knowledge of tribes. And so... Uh, I'd say this is an ongoing process. I am uh, pleased that the Supreme Court moved in the direction it did. Um, It is unfortunate that it was even a contested question, but it's also vital that we learn from and continue our actions and think about even greater flexibilities uh, and greater um, ways that we can drive our understanding to states so that states themselves think um, first and foremost uh, how do they reunite ch- children with tribes? Uh, I appreciate this issue. I think we should focus on it from a policymaking perspective, how at the federal level we can drive that understanding to reach more and more states, particularly states that don't have tribes themselves, may not be thinking this way. It's a reorientation towards responsibility that we can help shoulders. So thank you for raising that. I just want um Quick thing on, on kinship, the kinship part of your question, Chairwoman. Um, so the what the regulation does is basically create a different standard for kin families. So would you know uh, a standard that's um, uh, keeps health and safety in mind, but is not as stringent as what we would require for sort of stranger foster families. So that's the idea: is to acknowledge that we want children in kinship placements, and those standards should be different than regular foster care. Great, thank you, and I. Actually, see, we only have about one minute left, so I apologize, but we just want to make sure we have time for a special announcement. Uh, Director So. Good afternoon. I, I can hardly contain myself. Um, <laughs> and it's been like this for, for, for a bit now. Can we ask all of our veterans, if you can, could you please stand for, for us, please? Our veterans, veterans. anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I'm going to ask my uh, VA colleagues, Dr. Upton and your team, if you could just please stand. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, we, Indian Health Service for, for over two decades has had a formal agreement with the Veterans Administration and the services that are provided in our IHS facilities and tribal facilities and urban facilities for that matter. And, and that we've been working, we've been at the table for reimbursement for, for some time now and uh, trying to get that agreement renewed. And so I'm so pleased to be the person, the first one to tell you that we do have an agreement in place now, and we will be rolling that out very, very quickly, probably within the moment here as I'm announcing this. And it's so important that we continue to, as I said earlier, how important it is for all of the federal government to continue to raise and work with each other to to make sure that all of resources are flowing to Indian country. Uh, so this is, again, the first one of the significant changes uh, in this new agreement will be reimbursement for PRC, patient and referred care um, activities. Uh, yes. Sorry. 
and and there's also some consideration in there for travel as well. So uh, we will make sure that everyone has access to that agreement here pretty quickly. But, you know, today's announcement is really a result of our agency's continued collaboration and shared commitment as we ensure that American Indians and Alaska Native veterans have access to the highest quality of care that they deserve. This agreement will expand our ability to care for greater numbers of American Indians and Alaska Natives and the priority, and make them the priority and keep them as our priority, not just our respective agencies, but the ones that hold significant personal, uh, personal significance to me as my father. I am the daughter of a Korean War veteran. So I just want to say again that, um, I also want to tell you a story. I sent my team to the, to the Veterans Administration negotiation table and I said, don't come back until you get everything that I asked for. And I kept tabs and like, you know, how close are we? How close are we? And then I walked, went over and met with the VA secretary and said, look, you owe this to us. Get it done. And um, so we got it done in record time. Thank you to our veterans. Thank you, tribal leaders, for keeping us accountable for making this happen. Great. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, panelists. Thank you, tribal leaders.